Hey, well, Happy New Year, everybody. Glad that, uh, glad that you are here to join us, uh, really, I guess, in the first Sunday of 2019. Let me pray, and then we will uh, dive into our sermon today. God, thank you so much for your presence in our lives. Thank you for your goodness. Uh, thank you for the joy that you give us through Jesus. And when we gather corporately just to worship you, I, I don't know about everyone else, but for me, uh, it just seems like that fire in my heart and just uh, burns even brighter. And so I pray that uh, this morning we will all collectively feel that as we uh, just strive to maybe know more about you, learn more about you. Maybe someone hears today, they're just kind of seeking. They're not really sure if they believe any of this, uh, but, but they want to... to to do something differently this year. And so they thought, well, why not give church a try? And so if they're here today, Lord, if that person is sitting in this, in this building right now, God, would you meet them where they are and let them know that they are loved with an everlasting, undying love, that uh, you care for them and that you are for them and that you are so pleased with them to be here today to start off this new year in you. For those who just are trying to, to follow you and take that next faithful step uh, towards you, then, then God, I just pray that you will bless that as well, that you will let us know that we are loved, not because of what we do, but just because of who we are and because of who you are, God. You are a God who loves. And so would you open up your word to us this morning? Would you challenge us and would you shape our hearts to be more like Jesus and to feel more at home in him? And we pray this in his name. Amen. Hey, one of, uh, one of my favorite parts of, of 2018, I got to join a um, pastor's covenant group, um, five of us from really kind of across the country. Uh, we meet together once a month over a video conference call, and then twice a year, uh, we get to do a little spiritual retreat, and so I got to go and spend uh, two weeks in 2018 um, in Colorado up in the mountains just for the only purpose of, of soul care. And it was uh, so beneficial to, to me, um, I hope to our family, hopefully even to our church, as God just kind of ministered to me in that moment through these guys, and, and hopefully I was able to do the same to them. And, and what I found in these meetings is that, man, like we all need somebody in our life that is encouraging us, that is challenging us to be more like Jesus, to grow in our, in our faith. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you're a pastor. It doesn't matter if you're just someone who sits in the pew every Sunday. Like we all need people in our life who are encouraging us to take our next steps with Jesus, who are asking us maybe the tough questions, uh, people that we can be transparent with, uh, people that we can be vulnerable with. And, uh, and during our, our, our conference calls, um, every month, we would ask ourselves the same four questions. What are your delights? What are your drains? What are you discovering new about God or about yourself? And then what's your determination? Like from, from here on, what are you determined to do either the same or differently? And, and having 12 months of just answering those questions with a group of guys uh, has really kind of made me step back and reflect a little bit more on my life. And so I'm just wondering, as we go into this new year, if you and I were to sit down over dinner or over coffee, how would you answer those four questions? What have been your delights and your drains? What have been your discoveries? What's your determination? As you look back over 2018, what are those things that you took great delight in? What are the things that you look back on and they, 
make you smile. Maybe for you, it just happened over, over Christmas was you gather together with your family and every time family gets in the room, there's just something in you that, that just makes your heart smile. Tim Thompson, uh, our, one of our worship ministers, he, he described delight like this. Delight is walking into a room filled with your family and, and not seeing anybody that you want to avoid. Like that is <laughs> delight right there. Hopefully you were able to find some delight as you gathered in Christmas. If you weren't, you're probably not alone, uh, but hopefully you did. What are some things that drained you? Like what are some things that when you look back, maybe it was health, maybe it was finances, maybe it's just like relationships, and you look back and like there are things that make you so glad that 2018 is over and you're looking forward to a fresh start in 2019. What are the things that drained you? What are some things that you discovered about God, about yourself? What are some things that you discovered about your family, about your faith? What are you determined to do in 2019? Maybe continue to do or you're determined to do differently. You know, maybe in 2018, your theme was survive and advance. <laughs> and maybe in 2019, you're determined to grow we're launching a new series this week called Just Like Us, and we're going to be looking at the life of a man named Elijah. Elijah is, is an amazing person in Scripture. His life was filled with these four things. All throughout Elijah's life, we see him delighting in the Lord. We see there are times where he is absolutely drained from, from doing what was right. We see that there are times when Elijah was, was discovering more about who God is and what it meant to faithfully serve and follow him. We, we read about times in Elijah's life where, where he was determined to do what was right, even if he was the only one that was determined to do it, even if he was the only one that was going to stand for what is right. He was determined to do it. And so to kick off this, this new series that, that I'm really excited about, if you have a Bible or a Bible app that you like to use, I invite you to turn with me to a couple of different passages. The first one is 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 29, and you can hold on to that one. 1 Kings is about a quarter of the way through the Bible. If you're not familiar with it, um, just scroll through there. You'll find 1 Kings chapter 16. And if you have a Bible, that, that passage will be up on the screen. This next one won't. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, then and you can only choose one. Uh, go to this next one, which is Psalm chapter 37. And then uh, kind of put a finger or a bookmark in there. Psalm 37. Let's start with our, our first Kings text. And I want to give some historical context before we dive in, because again, I think that historical context helps us see that like, even though this book is a couple of thousand years old, like it's still as relevant in our lives today. When we understand what is going on historically in scripture, and we find that, that even though maybe we're a little bit more advanced in society, we still deal with a lot of the same junk that, that people in scripture did. And that the Bible has a whole lot of wisdom in, in our life. And, and so it kind of makes this book that many think is just ancient and outdated, it makes us realize, like, man, it is just as relevant in our lives today. And so the, the book of First and Second Kings gives the account of Israel after um, the, the death of King David. King David had unified the 12 tribes of Israel together underneath one kingdom. And the books of 1st and 2nd Kings kind of give an account of what happened after his death and all of the kings that would follow. And it all started out pretty good. 
Solomon, who is one of David's son, took over as king after his father passed away. And right off the bat, we see Solomon doing all of the right things. Like right as soon as he stepped into power, the first thing that he did was he prayed, God, give me wisdom. Give me wisdom to lead your people. Give me wisdom to honor and glorify you. And we see that God poured out his wisdom on Solomon. And one of the things that Solomon did was he picked up a project that David, his father, wanted to do, and that's build the temple. David had this desire to build the temple where where heaven and earth would meet, where God's presence would dwell, and his people could go and worship him. But God said, no, David, that's not for you. That's for those who follow you. And so Solomon took up this desire of his father's heart, and he began to build the temple. And when the temple was done things started to fall apart. Solomon, this man of great wisdom, started making some not-so-wise choices. He, He would marry hundreds of daughters from neighboring kings to create these political alliances. These wives would move from their home country, their foreign lands, and they would bring with them their false gods. And and Solomon didn't discourage that. Instead, he allowed them to bring them in. And so idolatry and idol worship started in Israel. Solomon started getting this hunger and thirst for power and for wealth. And so he starts accumulating these massive amounts of wealth. He, he begins to put together this enormous army. And, and, and in response to all of this, he, he, and to be able to afford everything that he was wanting to do, he, he hiked up taxes to the point that, that it drove people into slave labor. And so that was what he was using to get all of these projects done. And, and at the end of Solomon's life, he had broken every single guideline that God had given for Israel's kings. Like it all started off so good and then when he got just a taste of power, when he got a taste of that wealth, it all started to crash down. I'm wondering how many people we know in our lives where we're like, yeah, that's the story that I've seen in them. Maybe even you, that's been your story. And so Solomon eventually breaks all of these guidelines. He passes away and it only gets worse from there. Solomon's son, Rehoboam, has an even greater thirst and even greater lust for power and for money. And so he tries to increase taxes and slave labor even more. But when he did, the northern tribes of Israel began to rebel underneath the leadership of Jeroboam. And they separated off to form their own rival kingdom. And so you have these 12 tribes of Israel that David had unified into one kingdom, now separated into two separate rival kingdoms. You had Judah to the south centered around Jerusalem and and worship in the temple. And you had Israel to the north centered around Samaria and worship in in Samaria, and they, they brought in immediately, they started worshiping foreign gods, and they set up temples to these false idols. And from there, First and Second Kings goes back and forth from north to south, kind of tracing the history of the kings who would come in. Some would do good, and some would only lead people further away from the Lord. Each kingdom had about 20 kings, and 
And as the author of 1 and 2 Kings introduces each one of them, he gives a little synopsis about their, their reign. This is, this is kind of the filter that he runs their reign through. Number one, did they worship the God of Israel alone? Or did they promote the worship of other gods? Number two, did they deal with idolatry or did they just kind of sweep it underneath the rug? Number three, did they remain faithful to their covenant with God or did they become corrupt and unjust? And so using this criteria, the author found exactly zero good kings in the northern kingdom of Israel. And he found only eight out of 20 kings in the southern kingdom of Judah to be good. And so out of 40 kings in Israel's history, eight of them, eight of them focused on worshiping the God of Israel alone. Eight of them dealt with idolatry. Eight of them remained faithful to their covenant with God. The rest of them turned their backs and wandered and led people astray. One of those not-so-good kings in the north was a man named Ahab, and he was the not-so-goodest of the not-so-good. We're introduced to Ahab and his wife Jezebel in our text today. Look at it with me. 1 Kings chapter 16, starting in verse 29. In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, so again, this is given some, some historical context. We, we read what's going on in the southern kingdom of Judah. Asa is king. He's been king for 38 years. Ahab, son of Omri, became king of Israel, and he reigned in Samaria over Israel 22 years. And look at this little brief synopsis in verse 30 of Ahab's reign. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. That's really saying a lot. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel, someone, son of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal, that he built in Samaria. Ahab also made an Asherah pole. It was a, it was a kind of a, a place of worship for people of this foreign god of fertility. It did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than did all the kings of Israel before him. And, to, and just to kind of show how bad it got, he, he mentioned something very, very obscure in verse 34. In Ahab's time, Heel of Bethel rebuilt Jericho. He laid its foundations at the cost of his firstborn son, Abram, and he set up its gates at the cost of his youngest son, Segub, in accordance with the word of the Lord spoken by Joshua, son of Nun. And so all of this is, is scripture painting this picture of Ahab as a man who was selfish and cruel. He was morally weak, and he was only concerned about the luxuries of this world. So he worshiped false gods, he built temples to them, and he encouraged everyone else to do the same, to turn their backs on the Lord and to follow someone else. And in verse 34, we find that he even allowed child sacrifice to enter into the kingdom as they rebuilt Jericho. All of this is just to show how bad it got underneath the reign of Ahab. The author sums up his life towards the end of it with these words 
chapter 21, verse 25 through 26, he says, There was never anyone like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, urged on by Jezebel, his wife. He behaved in the vilest manner by going after idols like the Amorites the Lord drove out before Israel. Now, it's also in the book of First and Second Kings that we are introduced to the prophets. And in the Bible, prophets were not fortune tellers. They, they weren't people who just kind of foretold the future. They were people who spoke on behalf of God. They were people who, who warned the kings and the people, hey, if you continue down this road that you're going, I'm telling you, it's not going to lead to a good place for you. They, they were men and women who spoke on behalf of God. They were the ones who called out idolatry and injustice amongst the kings and the people who called them back to the Lord. And what we find is that every time a new king came into power, God would raise up a new prophet to hold them accountable. To say, hey, don't forget to steer back this way, or hey, you're moving off course. And so it was a way of God's divine love for his people to say, no, stay on the right path, stay on the right path. But, but more and more and more, these kings refused to listen to the prophets that God had sent. And for Ahab, God raised up a man named Elijah. If you read through the rest of the Bible, you'll find that Elijah was a pretty remarkable character. Not only does he stand nose to nose against Ahab and his wife Jezebel, he does some incredible things on God's behalf. But we even read about Elijah in the New Testament. He's the fourth most referenced Old Testament character in the New Testament. We even see him coming alongside of Jesus during critical moments in Jesus' life to encourage him and to, to, to give him the strength to push on. So Elijah is a central character in God's story, which is why we're spending the next few weeks talking about him. Everyone still with me? That was a big history lesson right there. I think it's important for us to understand some of this context because it's going to help us understand over the next few weeks what Elijah was up against. I mean, this wasn't just one king who was trying to lead people off stray. This was cultural. Like he lived in a culture of people who were, who were moving further and further away from God, and he was God's spokesman to call them back to the one who loved them. In spite of all the things that Elijah did, amazing things, James 5.17 says this, Elijah was a man just like us. Elijah was a man just like us. He was an ordinary God who served an extraordinary God. The same extraordinary God that you and I continue to worship and serve today. Throughout his life and throughout his ministry, Elijah had his shares of ups and downs. And how many of us can say, yeah, that's, that's right where I am too. Like sometimes life is good and I feel like I'm on top of the world. And sometimes, ugh, I feel like I can barely even put one foot in front of the other. And through it all, Elijah's delight was in the Lord no matter where he went, no matter what he did, Elijah delighted in the Lord. And we can look at Elijah's life and we can think, yeah, well, it's easy for him to delight in the Lord. I mean, look at like everything that the Lord did through him. Look at all the ways that Elijah was used by God. Like Elijah may be just like us, but man, he's not just like me. But I think that he is. 
I mean, see if any of this sounds familiar. Elijah lived in a broken world people, filled with people who were chasing after anything and everything but the Lord. There were times where he felt discouraged and alone. There were times where the pressure just mounted on his shoulders so much that he felt like he couldn't even stand up and take another step. There were times when he felt alone. There were times when he saw God do incredible things in his life and through his life, but then in the very next moment, he dealt with debilitating depression and anxiety and loneliness. And many of us, we know exactly what that feels like. Through it all, Elijah was faithful to God and delighted in the Lord. And God was faithful to Elijah and delighted in him too, just as God continues to delight in us today. One of the most amazing things in Scripture to me is that what we see woven throughout the entire tapestry of the Old and New Testament is that God delights in you. God delights in me. Listen, I know me. (laughs) I know that there are times where there's not a lot to delight in, and yet God delights in me just as he delights in you. Zephaniah 3.17 says, The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Think about that. The God of the universe rejoices over you with singing. He loves you that much. Psalm 18.19 says, He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Psalm 147, 11, the Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hopes in his unfailing love. The truth that we see all throughout scripture is that God delights in you. In fact, say that with me this morning, just because I want to make sure that it's, it's, it's hitting our heart. God delights in me. Say it with me. God delights in me. God loves you with an ever lasting love. And I'm telling you, you may not feel it this morning. You may think that it's too good to be true, but it is. He loves you with an everlasting, undying love. He delights in you and he pursues you as a father delights in his children and pursues their heart. And the question is, do you delight in God? Do you delight in God? Through the ups and through the downs in life, through the good, through the bad, when it's easy, when it's hard, do you delight in God? Listen to what David writes in Psalm chapter 37. I think it gives us a lot of wisdom in how we can delight in the Lord. Verse 1, he says, Do not fret. Do not worry, do not be anxious, do not fret because of those who are evil or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither, like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe 
pasture. Look what he says in verse 4. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your ways to the Lord. The psalmist reminds us that if we take delight in the Lord, he will give us the desires of our heart, and not those superficial desires. 2019, Lord, I want a brand new car. (laughs) I'll delight in you. It's not those superficial desires in our hearts. It's that desire to really want to know him, to follow him, to trust him. When we delight ourselves in him, he will give us the desires of our heart, the genuine desires. And through those ups and downs, Elijah delighted in the Lord. And because of that, nothing really shook him. He stood on that solid foundation. And I wonder, does that describe your attitude here at the beginning of the year? Was that the men's warming shelter on Thursday night? And I got into a conversation with a, with a gentleman who oftentimes sits in, in the back. He's pretty quiet, doesn't really say much, but he's a thinker. He's an observer. He's just always watching. You can tell that, that he's pretty deep. And uh, he found out that I was a preacher. And that always shocks people because they're like, you look like you're 22. Um, I'm actually 38, thank you very much, but uh, he was a little bit shocked by that, and so we got into a conversation about that, and, and he said, you want to know my favorite part of the Bible? I was like, yeah, tell me. And he said, there were two men who built a home. One of them built their home on a foundation of sand. Another one built their home on a solid rock. So just storms of life came The rains beat against those homes. The one built on sand fell apart while the one that was on the rock stood strong. We got into a conversation about what it means to build our life on a rock and what it looks like. Like all those things that are the foundation of sand that so many people build their their life on. And he started telling me about those times in his life where he began to build it on that foundation of sand and how it absolutely all fell apart. I wonder, what is it as we go into this next year? What is that foundation that you're building your life on? The psalmist lays out a great action plan for us to delight in the Lord and to build our lives on on Him. Number one, he says, do not worry or envy about those who do wrong. Like that comparison game, it's an easy trap to fall into and we feel like God is maybe holding out on us. We look at others who, who maybe it seems like life is going well or they're getting all of these things that we wish that we had and we begin to compare and we're, and we're thinking, well, God, I'm a better person than they are. And all of a sudden we're trapped and it becomes really hard to delight in the Lord when we feel like he's holding out on us, when we feel like we're better than someone else that we deserve something that they have. Man, if you want to learn how to delight in the Lord, stop trying to compare yourself to others. Stop trying to compare maybe what the Lord has done for others that you feel like he hasn't done for you. Scripture says that those who, 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 who are leading this life of deception, those who, who are, are, are pursuing life other than to the Lord, eventually their ways are going to be found out. And they will wither while we will remain strong. So don't get caught in the comparison game. 
Number two, trust God and keep doing what is good even if no one sees it and even if no one cares. Like just do the right thing because it's the right thing. Because God sees and cares and that is enough. Twice in these five verses we are told to trust God. Trust is the second half of faith. The first half is to believe but then we are called not only to believe but to also trust in God as well. And as we do, we commit everything to the Lord. I love this word translated commit here. It's not a synonym to trust. The psalmist is not being redundant. The word literally means to roll one's way on to God. Like I, I think of it like this, like, you know, when you just have hit it, hit the, the end of your rope and you're like, I just want to lay in bed. <laughs> I can't do anything else right now. I can't even get up. It's like just muster enough energy to just roll over onto God's way. Like just commit yourself to that. It's a little bit cumbersome in English, but what it means is to dislodge the burden from your shoulders and to lay it on God's instead. To say, God, I cannot carry this anymore. I am giving it over to you. I am turning it over to you. What a beautiful thought. I think it's what Peter had in mind when he writes, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Here's the thing about this psalm as we kind of close up real quickly here. David writes this psalm as an old man kind of reflecting back on how God has been faithful to him all through his life. And do you want to know how to delight in the Lord? I think it starts with reflection. And when we are too busy looking ahead at what might happen, what could happen, fear and anxiety begins to creep in. But when we look back and we see all the ways that God has been faithful to us, then we begin to delight in him even more. And so instead of resolutions, let's start the new year off with reflections. Here's what I'm challenging you to do as we leave today. Number one, carve out some quiet time in your life. It's hard to reflect with the noise and the clutter of life. And so just carve out some time this week, next week, just to reflect on all the Lord has done for you in 2018. Number two, write down some of your reflections. In your bulletin, hopefully when you you came in this morning, you got one. If you did not, I encourage you to pick one up on your way out. There's a little booklet here. Everyone pull that out. There's a little booklet that has four questions here of observation and reflection. We're going to talk about each one of these questions over the next few weeks in this series. And the first one is this, what are your greatest areas of delight in 2018? Spend some time quietly reflecting and writing those things down this week. Then number three, thank God for his blessings. Every day of life is a gift. Don't forget that as we launch into this new year, every day of life is a gift. I get it, for some of us, it is a lot harder to find the gift because life is just hard. But I want you to consider these words from Andrew Carnegie. I think they're good for us as we delight in the Lord. He says this, when you go digging for an ounce of gold, you have to move tons of dirt to get that ounce of gold. But when you go digging, you don't go looking for dirt, you go looking for gold. You see, anybody can go digging in the dirt and find dirt. <laughs> Take someone special to dig through the dirt and find gold. I want to close with a story of a lady named Jean Hilliard. Jean 
Maybe you're familiar with her, her story. In 1980, Jean was traveling home uh, during a cold Minnesota evening, and she wrecked her car close to a friend's house. She saw his porch light on, and so she got out of her car, and she began walking to her friend's home. But before she made it to the front door, she froze. And six hours later, her friend found Jean frozen as solid as an ice cube. And so he picked her up, and he put her in the back of his truck, and he took her to the hospital. And some nurses that were on staff that night, they didn't lose hope. And they said, let's just see what would happen. And so they wrapped her in blanket after blanket after blanket. And when that blanket would get cold, they would wrap her with a new one. They couldn't even inject her arm with an IV because it was so frozen solid that every time they would try to put a needle in it, the needle would break. And after two or three hours of this, Jean started convulsing a little bit. And eventually she came back to life. And after 49 days in the hospital, Jean walked out of that hospital with nothing more than a couple of blisters on her toes. And she would go on the news. She went on the Today Show. She was interviewed by all of these different stations, all of these different newspapers. And they're saying, Jean, you're a miracle. This is a miracle what happened. And, and, and she said that all of her friends were starting to tell her, Gene, you are a living, breathing miracle. And she said, years later, she's recounting this story. She just kept thinking, well, God saved me for something, right? Like there's something that's going to be special about my life. And so each day she would wake up and she'd say, is today going to be the day when something special happened? Is today going to be the day when something special happens? But nothing ever came. Jean lived a pretty normal life. She got married, had two kids, got divorced, and works at Walmart. There wasn't anything remarkable that happened in her life, even though she kept expecting that something would. But what she missed in that is that every single day that she had was a miracle. Every single thing that she had from that point forward was a miracle. And in her expectation of something glorious or grand to happen, she missed the everyday miracle that God gave her. I think, man, how often do I do the same? How often do we do the same? We look and we look and we dig and we dig and all we find is dirt. There's gold in there. And the goal in our life is that God sent his son Jesus to show us the fullness of his love. And because of that, every day is special. Every day we can delight in the Lord who delights in us. And he showed us the fullness of his love through Christ who died for our sins so that when we turn for ours, we can find new life, we can find a fresh start, and we can delight in the Lord. Let's stand and pray. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.